thank you so much to our sponsors, Yellow Racket Records, a place for music lovers to discover, hear, and buy new and pre-loved records. Great staff, great coffee, comfy chairs. YellowRacketCHA.com and RC2 Realty Solutions Real Estate Investments. Robin Ring's got a brand new thing. Call 531-1722. Only in Jeff Styles, America. Hey folks, welcome to Storyville. Storyville with old El Jefe, Nuga's own Jeff Styles, spelled with a Y. Once a week, we do a podcast called Rockyology, which is an hour-long music show, and one called Storyville, which is me essentially telling stories from my life, the lives of others around me that I find to be interesting. Hopefully you do too from time to time. Sometimes we actually kind of go topical and newsy. Last week on Storyville, we aired the uninterrupted conversation with the woman who headed up our health department's crisis team for COVID-19 here in Hamilton County, Tennessee. And it was actually two segments from the radio show. We just removed the commercials and talked to Ray Young Bond about how it began, how it ended. They're wrapping things up now as we get to the light at the end of the tunnel. And so every once in a while, we kind of venture off and do something different. Done a couple of video uh, podcasts, which have been fun. We've got another one coming up sometime in the very near future, which will actually even involve young Jason, the Argonaut here, who produces this show. I know, and I, I can't. I, I've been waiting for to, to do this. I'm, I'm, I've been kind of just waiting for the for the time to come around on the for it to come around on the guitar. When it comes around on the guitar, we'll jump in on it. Um, but it, today, is it bad? I can still remember her address. No, no, no. The 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 girl from Ichiku. Yes. No, no. It's not bad. It just shows that it made a real mark on you. She made a mark, all right. I was going to say, I, I remember all the marks that got left over all the years and all the parks that I had engagements <laughs> and encounters. Uh, speaking of engagements and encounters, um, let me, I, I've mentioned at least twice on Storyville. Uh, once it was really a topical center of the show, the best interviews I've ever had, the best moments as a talk radio host I've enjoyed over a three-decade-long career and then I know I made another reference to it at one point being a highlight. And let me go ahead and just say it again. I'll set it up. In my opinion, the best single radio show I ever did, live radio show, was on Veterans Day several years ago. It's a two-hour show that I had. And I had on for one hour Desmond Doss, the man who was the conscientious objector who won the Medal of Honor, and they did the movie Hacksaw Ridge about him, who was from this area. And the other hour was with Charles Coolidge, a man from Chattanooga, Tennessee, who up until yesterday was one of two, two surviving World War II veterans who had received the Medal of Honor. And the Medal of Honor Museum, named after Charles Coolidge, is here based in our town where this podcast originates, Chattanooga, Tennessee. And yesterday, Charles Coolidge passed away at the age of 99. The show that I did that day was phenomenal. If you know anything about the stories, if you've seen Hacksaw Ridge, you know the story of Desmond Doss, the man whose religious beliefs would not let him carry a gun, but still... He was in the heat of battle, 
and saved 87 American lives individually without firing a shot. Charles Coolidge's story was the second of the two in the second hour. And because we have so many things, you know, named after him in our neck of the woods here, it was slightly a bigger deal for me. I didn't really know the story of Desmond Doss until I had a chance to talk to him. But I knew some of Charles Coolidge's story, but not all of it. And let me say this. I'm going to read a newspaper account of why he won the Medal of Honor. But I will tell you this. During that hour and that conversation, and it was by phone. He was not in the studio. He took a liking to me. And I think the fact that it was on the phone, there were no lights, no cameras, no microphone, and that it was an unknown voice, a pleasant and professional unknown voice who was genuinely interested asking these questions. I had members of his family who told me later on that he actually said things during that radio interview that they had never heard before that he actually gave up stories and information that they had never heard before. Well, I, I took that as the greatest compliment. So my best radio show ever revolved around the individual who passed away yesterday, just short of his 100th birthday, just short. And I'm going to read the newspaper account of why he was given the Medal of Honor. I will interrupt it just a couple of quick times to make a little point and I want you guys to really listen. I don't know if it was Tom Brokaw who coined the term greatest generation, but there is no doubt about it. Um, the, the us boomers, and I'm on the very young end of the boomers, God, we've sucked up a lot of resources, and I'm not sure what all we've given back. Other some, you know, then some, some great, you know, pop culture stuff. But God, these were men. These were men that, that fought for the right reasons in what was considered to be the last good war, uh, World War II. And, you know, far away in countries that we didn't really seem to have a whole lot of reason to be fighting for or in, we still signed up in record numbers and went and won the war. Now, I'll argue maybe the Russians actually won the war and we were a huge part of it, but that's not for today. For more than 14 months, oh, let me give credit where credit is due. This article was written by Patrick Philbin, a staff writer for the Chattanooga Times Free Press. But this is an encapsulation. For more than 14 months during the Nazi invasion, Charles Coolidge served in Europe, starting with a treacherous boat ride from North Africa to Italy. After months of firefights, the technical sergeant led a, sectin, uh, a section of heavy machine guns with a platoon of fewer than 30 men to take a position near Hill 623, east of belmont sur butant France, a crucial position near the German border. It was October 24, 1944, and the 23-year-old Coolidge, 23 years old, was by far the most seasoned and experienced soldier in the group. By that time, he had seen months of action while most of the men he was in charge of were fresh-faced and green. He and his unit were setting up two machine guns when they heard the Germans coming. Coolidge looked to his friend, George Ferguson, from the Bronx, who spoke German, and hollered at him, George, call out to him and ask him if they want to give up. 
The Germans weren't more than 40 feet away when one of them pointed his rifle at Ferguson. That's when Coolidge raised his rifle and shot, killing the German who was pointing the rifle at Ferguson. A firefight led to Ferguson being hit in the left arm, and the battle began. For four days, with little ammunition, Coolidge and his men survived six counterattacks from the Germans, who were trying to make it up the hill. On the fourth morning, October 27th, the Germans brought up two tanks for the seventh counterattack. Here's a quote from Staff Sergeant Clarence Hawkins, a leader of a squad of riflemen at the time. The situation was desperate. Sergeant Coolidge saw there was at least a company of Germans and something had to be done. He stepped in front of us and walked right at the Germans, yelling to them to surrender. You think he had an army behind him, unquote. Coolidge had already told his men that there was a possibility the Germans would bring a tank through a little bank barely wide enough to accommodate one, and that morning as the unit heard the two tanks rumbling up the hill, Coolidge and his men readied their defense. Let me stop for a second and remind everybody, the Panzer tank being used by Germany at this point in the war made the Sherman tanks that we were using look like tin can toys. The Panzer was a massive killing machine that was virtually impenetrable and it struck fear in the hearts of all German enemies wherever they were. Keep that in mind. That was the Panzer. The first tank got about 50 feet away from Coolidge who remained at the front of the unit standing. The turret of the tank opened and in perfect English, I'm going to stop again, when Mr. Coolidge, when Charles Coolidge was on the air with me, he laughed about this and was telling in such a nonchalant manner, I have no reason to disbelieve anything. And this is the way the story has always been told. He said the guy in the tank, the German, spoke perfect English with a New England accent. And I've said this before. I spent a summer in Germany. And they speak English better than many of us do. And you can tell where their teacher was from because they generally even pick up an accent, a southern accent, a Bronx, Bronx accent, maybe Cajun, maybe some Midwestern, you know, lilt. But, but you can actually tell who taught them English because they will actually pick up the accent, which is Pretty phenomenal, really, when you think about it. You had to give something to the Germans for mimicry, for sure. But so, in perfect English, the guy said, All right, y'all want to give up? Just like that. So he pops up his head, looks at him, and says, All right, you guys want to give up? And Coolidge said that it took him by surprise. It was very surreal. After several days of intense fighting and months of bloodshed, to be looking at this guy having this conversation, he looked at his men. His men looked back at him, and he looked back at the German, and he said, No, nah, sorry, Mac. I guess you're going to have to come up and get us. And the guy goes, All right, then, and gets back in the tank and closes the turret, screws it shut again, and the next thing you know, here comes the big gun, and boom. Boom, an 85-millimeter gun fired five times 
at what would be considered point-blank range for a Panzer tank. There was no other reason to do anything except just get the hell out of there, but he had to dance back and forth, dodging tank shells, and went from tree to tree to tree to tree, and somehow withstood this barrage aimed at him, an individual soldier, and he's hopping around like, you know, some sort of Warner Brothers cartoon character out there, like Pepe Le Pew, who's been canceled by the cancel culture, by the way, uh, the woke culture, Pepe Le Pew. But he had his uniform and even his boots lacerated by shrapnel, not one break of the skin, didn't have a scratch got out of it with no wound whatsoever, got back to his men. Coolidge got hold of a bazooka to return fire, but as his son, Charles Jr., explained, the battery in the ignition system was taken out so his father couldn't get it to work. Thankfully, the seasoned soldier always carried a case of grenades with him during battle. Coolidge started pitching as many grenades as he could to hold off the Germans from taking the hill. His men retreated safely. Slowly, Coolidge made sure he was the last one on the hill. Charles Jr. said, My dad was in combat for 14 months at that point. He knew how they played, and he took them out. Unquote. From later reports, as the Allies inched closer to victory, it was reported that Coolidge and his men killed 26 Germans and injured up to 60 others. Ferguson survived the attack, and he and Coolidge stayed in touch after the war. And they're going to lay Charles Coolidge to rest in the National Cemetery here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, next week. And he will be laid beside his wife, and he will be given all military honors, including those reserved specifically for Medal of Honor recipients. Much of it will be open to the public. Much of it will be closed and just kept private to the family. But I just, you know, the, the, the story of Desmond Doss lowering those men one by one by rope and hearing him calmly describe how his faith in God kept him from being shot again at point-blank range by the Japanese surrounded on this island and he lowered these men down one after another after another, bullets ripping holes through his clothes but not hitting him. And just the calm manner, no sign of PTSD, no exhilaration or excitement or speeding up or, or increase of volume in their voice. And the way Charles Coolidge talked about that brief conversation, that surprise conversation that nobody saw coming, in the middle of that heated battle was so surreal, so dreamlike, so bizarre. Both of them were probably just completely caught off guard, but just kind of think about it for a second. Even in World War II, even with the Nazis, not every Nazi soldier was a demonic, you know, demon from hell who tortured people and and believed in the 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 final solution and what dr joseph mingala was doing in the prison of war camps some of them were just men who believed in their country or were conscripted but look just think of that moment of honor that moment of honor where two men faced off across from each other and just had a brief conversation one of them was saying, y'all ready to give up? Jokingly, 
because there's no way they could win. The other one said, y'all ready to give up, meaning it as he's sitting inside a superior you know, piece of weaponry that could easily defeat the 30 men by itself and just had a conversation and then moved on about their business, which was going to be killing each other if possible. It was a different day and age and I think a different sense and level of honor than we could expect out of most of our military conflicts these days. I'm not trying to say anything negative about our men and women in uniform, but it just seems like the types of wars that we get involved with these days and in these days, decisions get made far away. Uh, the troops are just fodder. It's being done by remote control. Um, my oldest son actually did a, a theme themed uh, term paper about how honor had been removed from warfare by technology. And actually, it was a very good paper and had several points. But we lost a man. We lost a man yesterday. We lost a good man. We lost a philanthropic man. When we spoke about it on the radio this morning, we talked about the actual park that was named after him. He would not do it. He wanted it to be called Veterans Park. So we have Veterans Bridge and Veterans Park, which later on got turned into Coolidge Park at his family's request and with their permission as he was dealing with MS on top of everything else. But that's how humble he was. He wanted it to be called Veterans Park. And it hurt his feelings when the city allowed certain businesses to actually build there on what should have been park land. He kind of felt like maybe he got squirreled over a little bit. So he was very human. But I just want to salute Charles Coolidge and salute the men that were on that hill. Hill 623, lost in history to most. And I want to thank you guys very much for tuning in and listening to Storyville. And I have a goal. In the next two or three weeks, I am serious about this. I want to try to triple the number of people I have listening to these podcasts. And I cannot do it without your help. All I can do is come in here and show up and do my radio show, record a podcast, put it out there, and hope that it's good. After that, it's up to other people to share. And we don't have a big promotional or advertising budget. We can push it out beyond the confines of this radio station and this studio and our little place in the Internet, our little, you know, patches of land on digital property. So please do, if you actually like what you hear, share it with people and try to increase the number of folks who are listening because that just gives us a whole world of opportunity. Thank you so much for listening. Fred Podcast wouldn't be possible without the support of our sponsors, Kelly Subaru, Safe, Frugal, and Green, Riverfront at MLK, and at kellysubaru.com, Dr. Brett Moldenhauer, Institute for Acupuncture and Wellness, and North Spring Cryotherapy and Rejuvenation Center. Find them at northspring.com. For more, go to fredpodcast.com.